0: In general, nobody wants to carry heavy loads of laundry up and downstairs. It is awkward carrying laundry up and down. I feel like I'm risking my life every time I go to the basement with the laundry basket right now.
1: This is Visitation Sessions, a weekly conversation with Chris and Emily Chapman and Kate and Casey Stapleton. Today, we're talking about Creativity.
2: We're going to talk this week about creativity, but before we get into the conversation, I thought that maybe we should talk a little bit about why we're calling this the visitation sessions. Like what, how does that tie into our vision for this podcast? Why are we doing this? Besides the fact that it's a great excuse to get together and talk every week without children.
0: Why are we calling it the visitation sessions?
2: Because it sounded cool. (laughs)
0: <laughs> because our house is called Visitation House. And we all now house.
3: own a house called the Visitation House. Yeah. Uh, and we inherited lo- we, that title.
2: Yeah, our house is called the Visitation House. But we wanted it to – we love the idea of the visitation, like being open to to people and ideas and topics and just the openness of the idea of visitation. So here we can – we s- none of this is should go in. This is not working at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Emily, 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 honestly, Emily so... I mean, honestly, I
1: like 4 a.m. Se- 4 a.m. friendship or 4 p.m. friendship, even though it might have, like, uh, saucy undertones or overtones. <laughs> I, all the voices in the attic. Voices in the attic. I like that one. That
2: sounded way too much like Flowers in the Attic. It that did. It sounded, it sounded super
1: reminiscent be. of That's Flowers in the ridiculous. Attic. <laughs> What's yeah. going on in the attic? But it makes <laughs> so. you want to know more, right? It's, it invites you in.
3: It's true. Everybody always wants to know what's going on in the attic. Yeah, like, what's voices? Yo, here you have an attic. Let's yeah, like look.
1: we've had Polish people in the attic. We've had Christine in the <laughs> attic. Like people want to know. That's true. Much
3: of your life, you in have a lot of has, in the has, you know, at least been. That's true. Know, our house place is not
0: called visitation house, but in in reality, it has been a visitation house. I think we've had we've had people staying in our attic for long periods of time. We had, we had our friend who was a single mother stay in our attic for a couple of years with her. Young child, and we, yeah. we had
1: your sister when before we had a uh, insulation. She stayed in there one <laughs> yes. summer.
0: Yeah, and it burned in the summer and froze oh. in the winter, and. And then we had uh, a young Polish couple who were expecting their first child stay in it for several months. They were stuck in Pittsburgh with nowhere to go.
1: But they ins- we had insulation by that point. so it was That's true. It was and... less horrendous. But
0: <laughs> somebody was like, well, I know the Stapletons have a bus. Maybe they have space for you somewhere. And <laughs> our bus is parked like way far away from our house because our house is in the middle of a super dense part of town. Um, but uh, yeah, we were like, well, we have an attic and... Uh, we were able to fit them in. But you guys, how, how did this house end up becoming Visitation House? What's the history of, of the name of this house?
3: Oh, boy, I'm not sure. I, mean, I know. It was called that when I went to grad school here in the mid-'90s. There were priests living here, and they went back at least to the 80s. We've actually been wondering that. I want to talk to maybe Father Dave Pavanka or some other people that have been around for a while to get more of the history of the house. Over the last yes yeah, So
2: over some time in the past, oh, for about 40 years, this house was owned by religious orders. Uh, the Confraternity of Priests owned it. The Diocese of Steubenville owned it. There was a order oh. of sisters here trying to get off the ground. Uh, the Priestly Discernment Program from Franciscan was here for a while. So probably the first group of priests to buy the house and live here, called it the visitation house. They were interested in being closer to the charismatic renewal. So this was in the early 80s when Father Mike Scanlon was at Franciscan. And so priests who wanted to come here, be exposed to the charismatic renewal, have some of that experience, then go back to to wherever they were serving. I think that was the original idea. But I could be completely wrong, and there's probably neighbors who know I think, I mean, that's kind of how I remember.
3: I remember there was like a Father O'Gorman I talked to. You know, he would preach on campus, and there was a priest from Canada. I thought it was very holy. You know, they were charismatic, very prayerful priests, and I think they would rotate through here. And yeah, I think there was like, you know, you go to Studentville, it was a place to stay, and then you could go back to your diocese. And, you know, kind of, so I think it was sort of a retreat, sabbatical kind of place and,
0: and there's a sign outside that says visitation house. Yes, we're we like a
2: out. we have a sign outside our house. And it's
0: inviting people to visit you.
2: So <laughs> it's letting everyone know where the Chapmans live right now, but right. people but on you like remember super concerned about that.
0: What about the concept of visitation house appealed to you when when you came here?
3: Well, specifically for our marriage and it's interesting to hear you talk about your marriage and family life because you've hosted lots of people. But when Emily and I got married, I forget when we had the conversation, but it was very intentional at some point that we thought that we wanted our family to be open to people visiting the house, you know, having people stay at the house, being a place of you know, refuge is kind of strong. But, you know, just a place that when you're coming through Steubenville, which is where we lived initially and then when we, when we moved to Pittsburgh, a place that people could stay and we've had lots of people stay with us many of whom we knew, but then a few, like my brother, had an actress stay with us. Oh, actually twice, I guess. Two different people stayed with us that we didn't really know for a few days. And, you know, it's just hospitality, you know, is is a biblical, you know, virtue. And, you know, we wanted to, you know, lean into that and live it. And so it's been a hallmark of our marriage that we've done that. And, of course, you know, maybe on a different level, we've adopted three children and, Brought them into our family, and
2: I think it's that openness, that hospitality. So, so much good stuff happens when you're open. Like because we were open to receiving someone who was not our biological child into our home, we've been blessed with three amazing little people. Because we were so open to having people stay with us or people come to dinner with us, that today is the six year anniversary of the first time we had you over to dinner. Wow, Instagram told me. I was going to oh, say, wow. how did okay. you know that? <laughs> My
3: wife's amazing me. memory. Oh, no. it's so, so like, it's that openness <laughs>
2: to like the hospitality and the idea of visitation, like having someone come to you, that from that friendship grows and interesting conversations happen. And you know, it's.
0: And there's a lot of support there, too. I always think about that when we do the the joyful mysteries of the rosary and and it's the visitation that really speaks to me because my family is far away. So I'm the oldest of nine kids, but all of my siblings are far away right now. So I have a really strong sense of of thinking about going over the hills to visit family because that's what I do when I go visit my family and sort of like reuniting in this really beautiful way. But just that concept of visitation and support and when you when you go to someone and someone welcomes you in and is able to support you in that way, I think is, is really powerful.
2: And in a sense that's what we're doing with this podcast. Like we're inviting people into our friendship. We're inviting people into our home, into our conversations because not just I mean, sometimes our conversations are interesting, sometimes they're not, but we're all <laughs> we're all seeking beauty and truth and trying to figure out how to live this life in community. And so inviting people into that I think the idea of visitation sessions works.
0: Yeah, and today we're talking about creativity. So, so inviting
2: people into that. <laughs>
0: inviting people into a conversation about creativity. Um, so Emily, you are, you are officially a creative. I think when we initially opened this up, a lot of people said, tell me more about your creative life. You have a creative partnership as a couple. Um, you guys are... Our creative couple, what do you, what does that mean to you for Chris and Emily? Like, what does it mean to you to be a couple that's living together in creative partnership?
2: Well, I think when we were talking about this as a topic, I said I wanted to talk about the jump all to quote because I think when people think creative, they're like, oh, well, you guys are musicians, Emily's a writer, I'm not creative. What does creativity have to do with me and my family? But John Paul Chu has this awesome quote, and I do not have my cheaters on me, but I think I can There's make the text. <laughs> Emily, enough to is, read this, it. is this from the letter to artists? Yeah, it's from letter to artists. So it's from John Paul II's letter to artists, and he says, not all are called to be artists in the specific sense of the term. Yet as Genesis has it, all men and women are entrusted with the task of crafting their own life. In a certain sense, they are to make of it a work of art, a masterpiece.
1: No. Dang.
2: Yeah. And so you know we're all made in the image of God and God is the creator and so to be creative is to be human it's a part of who we are and it's going to look different for different individuals and different couples and different families but when you take on that call to make your life a work of art to make your life a masterpiece it yeah it just captures some of the dignity and adventure and beauty of the Christian life
3: As I said before the podcast though I'm I'm the least creative of this group for I'm certainly not a creative. I would disagree
0: but. because I think that <laughs> in your work as a teacher is consistently creative. I mean you're consistently creating the message that you're giving to the kids that you're working with and also you're incredibly great at reading interesting things, watching interesting things. Well, that's true. Creating. I do
3: appreciate it, but I'm not the one producing it, I guess. But I do. I I think over the years I realized like I do have some sense for genius. I'm interested in why and how people are creative so i've always been drawn to that i mean so i'm interested in the process and maybe in the spiritual life you know how we grow and mature so i mean so those are creative things but i'm not the person you know i'm not making an album i'm not writing a book you know, so I'm were
0: not, you drawn like, to emily because of her creativity was that some part of what drew you to towards her
3: well at the most basic level i mean i just enjoyed talking to her you know i think you know she's she's fun to talk to she's intelligent you know so um you know just the creativity of a conversation you know i, I don't you know why is you know people that have interesting ways of approaching things like i'm kind of fascinated now of course that we're married but you know she, we've Renovated one house and now we're working on this house. And when I say we, I mean her. Uh, (laughs) So I'm a, you know, it's funny, I'm not into computers at all, but I do think of it like this like I'm a yes and no person. I'm zeros and ones, (laughs) you know, like yes, yes, we should do that. No, you know, so rarely do I say no. I mean, that's pretty rare, but uh, I do like the analogy and I forget, maybe it's in Kosti Kanubi, but you know, the the man's the head of the family and the woman's the heart. So I trust. Emily deeply about, you know, these kinds of things, you know, how to form a house, a home, you know, what to do with the children. And of course we talk about things, but, uh, you know, a lot of times it's just me, you know, I, I hate to even say like it's authority, but you know, I think the, 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 man is the head of the house in some fashion, you know, how that's lived out, uh, maybe can be problematic at times, but it's just saying yes to good things and allowing things, allowing life to flourish You know so in that sense creativity you know is is allowing life to flourish and uh so i'm not the one designing things i think maybe a trap some people could fall into is like oh i need to be the one that designed something or and if i don't do it then it's not worthwhile but emily really is the you know she's the one that drives the family uh you know i'm not sure i mean i was certainly open to adoption but she's the one that made it happen and uh like i guess personality wise too like i like to deal with what is and emily is more about what could be and uh you know so there's some tension there <laughs> one of the reasons you know i, I loved our house in crafton uh, before we moved to studentville now i'm i'm you know i'm living here and a, a bloom where i'm planted kind of guy but uh you know Emily's excited about the house and so sh- her excitement about the house makes me excited about the house and and there were some things too about just the house you know being visitation house and I thought, oh, this does, this is in harmony with the way we've lived our married life through the first seven years. You know, there's some coherence there. It's not, we're just moving because there's a house available. You know, there were there were some reasons for that. And so I, know, I mean, just the creativity of a, of a family. Uh, you know, I was very drawn to Wendell Berry and some of the things he's written about family life being a place of production and life, and he and he sort of critiques. The modern family sometimes is a place where there's no life in the house. And so people want to escape the house, you know, and and it's it's seen as a, a stultifying place. But, you know, family life should be a place where there's life, food, conversation, creativity. You know, it's a place of production. I mean, things are happening there and so you wanna go home. You're like, I wanna go home and be with my family because life is there, or I want other people to experience my family and come into it. Uh, you know i love my family dearly but that's not that wasn't my experience of family life growing up uh, to any great extent and so when we got married i was like yeah i want our i want our family to be lively i want there to be a life there you know for the kids for us
2: yeah it's funny because people think oh you're a writer and to me that's not the most creative thing i do writing is is so much work <laughs> it's so much work but Like creativity is lived, it's lived in the cooking, it's lived in the decorating, it's lived in the hosting, it's lived in the gardening, it's lived in, you know, it's the whole life that we're creating. Who you're having over for dinner.
3: I mean, just, you know, we talked about that last time, you know, being intentional about who you're inviting over for dinner because you're like, oh, there's an interesting couple or that's an interesting person or, or that's, you know, it could even be like, oh, that's a single person we like, but, you know, they don't have a family, and so maybe they're a little lonely. We should hand them over to our house, you know, bring them over. But.
2: Putting together a fun dinner party is in some ways like creating a symphony. Like, oh, these people will be fun to talk to these people, and yeah. they might become good friends. And that was one of the most fun things I did in Stephenville back in the day was, you know, everyone who came to my dinner parties didn't become my best friend, but some became best friends with other people who were at the dinner parties. And that's a creative act, like hosting and introducing people and creating an atmosphere in which friendships grow among not just you and who you invite but among all of the people who come into your venue. I think that's yeah I just don't approach creativity like I am an artist. I hate the phrase I'm a creative. I <laughs> I it makes See, my skin crawl.
0: I think though I get really frustrated with Americans are very loath to call themselves artists and to call that's themselves true. creatives and I think that's com- a result of this sort of it
2: depth. is absolutely good to call yourself an artist it is pretentious and like annoying
0: to call yourself a creative sorry i know i just hate that word they might be hiding from being artists because i think for our whole life if call yourself if artist. we're interested in being artists i think for people who you know show an interest or an aptitude for art early on whether it's music or theater or, or writing in a lot of cases, what the message that you're given is so often, oh, that's so great that you like that. You need to find something else that's really practical, Mm -hmm. go to college, study that thing, get a job in that field that can support you. And then in your off time, you can spend 40 hours a week putting on a play and I might come to it and I might give you $3 because (laughs) it's so wonderful. We can celebrate together that you get to live out your art, which is ridiculous because art, like the art that we have as a part of our lives, going to really great shows, seeing great music reading great things. like That's what brings so much joy and meaning to our life. So I think that, in a sense, we're comfortable being consumers, but people aren't comfortable putting themselves out there and saying, I'm an artist. I think Americans are deeply uncomfortable saying that they're artists or supporting artists. It's really Mm -hmm. antithetical to the culture that we have. Yeah, I
1: think you're right. Well, speaking of art and um, hosting tons of people in your house, Emily, I noticed today uh, you guys told me that you have a laundry shoot and, uh, <laughs> are you worried about that? No, I'm, I'm not too worried.
3: Are
2: any children dying while we're recording this podcast? So this I, is
1: a, I, a love continual the, I love the design of a laundry chute. And, you know, because obviously when somebody designs a house, um, it's creative, right? It's somebody's vision. They're, tr- they're you know, the, the landowner, the house owner, or whatever, has, has this idea in their head, and uh, the architect or construction team has to help realize that idea. Do you think that laundry chutes? have uh, been detrimental to family life uh, because like no longer do you have somebody walking up and down the stairs of the basket, but maybe somebody can like blithely toss their dirty socks down the chute. Like, do you think like 20, 30, 40 years ago, the laundry chute was seen as the newfangled like video game, like a like, hundred oh, years, like, years, years ago, hundred years ago, it's tearing our family apart. I think people
2: were smarter a hundred years ago. They're Women always didn't want to go up and, down go and downstairs to do
0: to do laundry. This I think that's why now, now in people instance. are like, I'm going to put this laundry on the second floor because wherever, mm. in general, nobody wants to carry heavy loads of laundry. I feel like up I'm risking downstairs. my life every
2: time I go to the basement with the laundry basket right now.
0: I my grandmother had a laundry chute, and I was so jealous. Like, and it was too small to crawl into. Unlike yours, the one that we're Going to nail up (laughs) as soon as we're done recording. Um, But I mean, this, I have to say, as a side note, this whole visitation house thing is so. It's such an intriguing house because there's so many nooks and crannies in storage. Yeah. It's like the, it's like CS Lewis, like where you're like, oh, what? It just keeps going. Like you can lift up this thing and then that thing, which I think is also something we wanna do with this podcast, right? Is kind of venture into unexplored territories of common topics. Like, oh, it looks like a room, but there's so many angles to approach mm-hmm. in this actual house. Um, the angle where you could easily fall four stories down is like less appealing, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> right, staying still here with exciting. Children. <laughs> So yes, it is <laughs> I exciting. might fall into
2: it with my passion against the word creative,
0: but not. Well, not okay. So it, what is it? You you love creativity. You are you are a creative. Don't hit me. But like you, but you hate you people. Are calling you, you are creative. You are an artist, creative. An artist, but an
2: a creative is like something that people have started doing. Well,
3: why don't very they say recently. creator?
0: Yeah. What? Why do people call themselves creatives? It's some new thing that. Yeah, but language is alive. I mean, I
3: I yeah. I. It makes me blanch a little bit, but I've I've grown. You know, my brother calls himself a creative, and he likes to you know write screenplays and you know make movies. And I mean, I think it's accurate. It's just it's so a newer way. Call yourself
2: an art. Call yourself a writer. Call yourself an artist. Call There's yourself a kickback a musician. against calling yourself an artist.
0: But and call actually, yourself
2: what you are. So if you're a musician, call yourself a musician. It's if more you're a challenging composer, than you call think, yourself though. A composer. Think
0: I'm a writer, so like using
2: the precise word creative just feels very airy very
0: aspirational to me where it's if- so it's Could safe be. it's probably safer I mean I think that that's it's one like of being like being when we first started it's playing spiritual but not religious yes when we first started playing music I remember when we I read this book that was like how to make it in the new music business and um, we went out and he talked specifically about when you start touring how to deal with the fact that people are going to Ask you what you're doing, like, and it, it actually happened exactly like he said in the book, where we would go to shows, and people would be like, we play a whole show, and then the audience members would come up and be like, so, what are you guys doing? Do you want to like mm. be musicians or something? Like, it was really, it's really hard to failed. establish yourself. It was-
1: There's a reason why they ask, but But you have
0: to start somewhere. Like it's our first summer ever touring. We've been only been playing together for five months. Like, how do you launch yourself into? How do you boldly launch yourself into living a creative life in a society which is much more comfortable consuming creativity Hmm. than creating? And that is
2: maybe one of the reasons I don't like calling yourself a creative because I do believe we are all called to be creative, and so calling yourself a creative sets you apart, separates you from the non-creatives. Like you non-creative people over there I'm like no we're all called to be creative maybe as artists maybe as cooks maybe as contractors maybe as doctors like doctors are called to be creative in the way that they, they use their medical right skills so like we are all called to be creative maybe not there's accountants cre- maybe accountants there's <laughs> I am very grateful <laughs> for creative I think some accountants are very creative right? very creative some of them some of them some of them are <laughs> who is self-employed uh, yes I know I think it's that's that is probably why it grates me because it separates the creatives from the non-creatives. I'm like no, we're all called to be artists in our own unique way and then say like what makes you creative? I am a creative I am a creative baker, you know, not me, I don't bake, but someone's a creative sourdough baker. Someone is a creative parent, someone homeschooler, someone who's really great at homeschooling is creative. That's a way of being creative. So call, own your name, own what you are, own what you do and recognize how like you are imaging God through that act, like you are creating as God created.
0: And I do think there's a flourishing of that. I think there's a desire of that. You were talking about Wendell Berry, and I think there's such a deep disconnect, there has been such a deep disconnect between the home and family life, and between mm-hmm. the home and work. And I think there is there is a resurgence now in young families and young people that I see where people are really striving to value, to to highlight the beauty of the creative work they do, putting a bouquet of flowers on the table or which is can be a really powerful thing. And beautiful. I mean, for Floral me growing up my mom my parents were small scale organic farmers, very much like back to the lander, Wendell Berry inspired, <laughs> living that lifestyle at the same time as him. And I think having like having a hearth in the middle of the home, having like fire in the middle of the home, having always having someone there, having my mom go out to the garden and pick flowers and bring them in and set them in the middle of the dining room table or set them on the stove in the summer was like a hugely fundamental, you know, part of my understanding of of how you creatively build a family life. And I think that and having no television, I grew up with absolutely no television at all. And I remember all of my teachers were always like, why are your children so creative? To my mom, like Hmm. I think that that being somewhat divorced from from popular culture like allowed for a flourishing of perhaps an excess of creativity (laughs) in in the life of (laughs) myself and my siblings.
1: Do you feel like the The divorce between home life and family life and all that really started in the Industrial Revolution, which led to this this split of a uh, creative terminology. Like, what do you think is the cause of this like reclaiming that we're trying to do continuously?
0: I think that's such a huge topic, and I think it's split. There was a a book that was on our bookshelf always growing up called From Cottage to Workstation, mm. that. Really sort of summarized that that massive shift, like yes, in the industrial revolution so you had before that it, it addresses not just creativity but work it's like the fact that Emily is a, a, a an artist writer a writer not a, who is doing creative work in her own home and before you know there was a time when work was centered on the home so you had men working and women working in close Quarters often together to in a shared project like yeah or on the actually for many of the farmers that I grew up with it was always on separate projects it was like the same property <laughs> but never the same project it was like this is my field that's your garden never the 20 20- like you can you could invite someone to come over to your project but I saw that so much from men and women who worked like on the same property for their whole life and, and farmers and farm wives they had their own domain that was in the same place but it was like under their control and I love that aspect of it where it was like would you like to walk with me to the field this evening to hoe the new oh, <laughs> you know <laughs> but it wasn't you know it, you didn't necessarily cross over and I think Casey and I have really had gotten to experience a little bit of that I feel like sometimes I feel like our musical partnership is is like our farm like we called our our publishing company Arsenal Farm but um where we have we each have different pieces of it that mm-hmm. we're in charge of that are like our piece so we're doing the same project we have different focuses and we can ask each other for input but I, I think like having our own autonomy in that in that same space is that's what was happening more before it became that in order to work you went far away from your home for the entire day and then showed back up at home and i think now you have more of a return to that with people working from home where they're there mm-hmm. you know so that if that, that creates a much uh stronger familial structure
1: for catholic social teaching i know yeah. you you, d- you dive deeply into uh you know the dignity of work and stuff can you elaborate a bit about what your students ask about work or the church's stance on it or or w- what angle they're coming from in regards to work if any or are they just like inert and <laughs> like graciously receiving the wisdom that falls from your lips well i don't know if it's any of
3: those i mean a few and it just depends on the students but um maybe to kate's point i have and maybe your your initial question I mean I think like mass culture makes us passive so even just thinking of like 125 years ago I mean I, whenever the phonograph was invented but you know people bought sheet music because uh, probably one or more than one person in the house played music and so the entertainment of the evening was going to be you singing you know maybe a, a popular song that was out there but it wasn't recorded but once you know once the record became ubiquitous you know and everybody bought their uh you know the records then it became passive like we just listened to the music which you know there I mean it's fine I mean it's its own thing and then I'm not here to denigrate it but you know when you B- went to pointed this out to me and I think through this now he said when you gain something you also lose something you know so inventions give you something but then they usually also take away something so you know mass production you know which deals with work too you know like it's not somebody just making one leather satchel i don't know it's you know it's my company wants to make a thousand leather satchels or ten thousand of them now so you know it just mass production flattens things out so you get a kind of standardization and you know so the you know the artisan starts to get pushed out of the way because like well i'm gonna buy it from the sears catalog you know, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get the recorded music, and we don't have to have Kate play the piano tonight. I mean, it's nice that Kate plays the piano, but we don't need her to do it because we'll just put the record on, and you know, and, and you know, that just proliferates. So, I man, I, I, you know, I, th- I think there's something about capitalism, you know, and tr- you know, the the means of production. Not to go Marxist on us, but you know, but the mass production of people sort of taking into their own sphere of, of influence. I'm gonna make a lot of money by producing this thing that used to be individually produced or maybe in very small localities was produced and you know that just has worked itself out over the last 150 years you know 175 years in all kinds of ways that kind of make us much more passive i mean when i look at my childhood you know we watch television i think one of the frustrations of my life is i look at there's a kind of passivity at times of you know i consume lots of beautiful things and i'm interested in it but you know you know talking about the the actual production of you know being creative like some of the things that I would like to do I I you know I don't have the rudiments of them to do them and so when you get to the students get back to your question you know they're not thinking along those lines i mean they are very passive and of course you know the the smartphones are the are the newest you know contraption of the last 10 15 years that you know kids just go to their phones and you know they're enervated like a whole
0: another level of passivity. Yeah, I mean
3: it's just passivity and again not that they're completely evil, I'm not going to say that, but you have everything right in front of you, you want to play this game. You know, the kids aren't like I don't know 30, 40 years ago when I was in school, you know, you're playing football and you're making a little football and you're you know, and it's just a goofy little thing, but it is creative, right? You know, you're pretending to play football with this little paper and you're interacting with the other kids, but now you go on the phone. And there's somebody made a game, you know, somebody you don't know, and, and you just play the, you play that, and, you know, some kids, some of the games are interactive. And so, but I think there's just that, that there's a momentum. It moves in one direction of passivity and, and money is tied into that. And, uh, you know, people have to push against it and really be intentional. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to make my own game. You know, I, I, I want to make the thing that I could buy, but I'm going to make it myself or my family's going to do it or whatever.
0: I think you're right, though. I think at this the same time that work moved away from the home, that everything kind of there was this fundamentally massive shift where work moved away from the home and creativity like creativity was affected at that same time because of industrialized art coming into the home, right? Can so. we
2: talk for a minute about how your creativity has affected your marriage? Because like you guys have sort of moved away from your music and then sort of a rediscovery of that because it's not just it's not just the culture like it's very much on an individual level like we're being creative true. how it affects our relationships and our marriages and our families Like, could you talk about that a little bit yeah
0: I think I mean we were initially really drawn to each other when when we first met I, I just went over a lot of our very first letters that we ever wrote or our first emails that we had ever written to each other and I was really struck by the fact that every single one of them was 90% about creativity. Mm. I mean, I think it was about a, a grappling with creativity and that what we wanted to do and just kind of like burning with this desire to do. And I think when we met, um, Casey- uh, I liked
1: your pictures on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they were very like the angles were super cool and interesting. And, uh, okay, so
3: it's not just because she was pretty, it was, yeah, the, it wasn't it just because was the... I mean, you know, you weren't still are, but like
1: so. you just there's just a very, uh, there's like an arresting quality. Mm. And I think you said at one time, like, you uh you challenged the camera like mm. you, you were really good at challenging the camera and mm. it, it just every picture was like it had like a kind of a rem a rembrandt no like a caravaggio kind of quality like the lighting was good the shadows were good there was there's just like a like a tension in the in the staticness um very interesting photos like it wasn't like your classic like duck lips you know girl right. a hand on the hip kind of thing
0: i the first picture i ever saw of you you were you had like a guitar slung around you had a like vietnam t-shirt like good morning vietnam t-shirt that's right and uh and I a guitar a and right. you were playing you were playing <laughs> like, well, a smaller, few blocks from, from here i think it was like a, a concert that was like less you know half a mile from here the shirt got um, too small to but you were uh you were playing <laughs> music and so i we were initially really drawn to each other because of the creative work we were doing like i was really involved with dance at that point i was playing a lot of classical celtic harp stuff and casey was super on fire about playing guitar like like so obsessed with playing guitar that he slept with his guitar next to him every single night like he would go to sleep with his guitar next to him because i think who was it you were like oh, convinced
1: Steve, stevie ray vaughn or one of those guys had yeah a, it was stevie ray vaughn hmm. like you know would do it and he'd wake up and play like a cool riff and be like oh yeah that's what i was but
0: Casey was like, "I'm gonna wake up and be a genius." Like- and then, yeah, one one night, I remember waking up. I had
1: a dream about some crazy riff. I think like Leonard Skinner was like, "Hey, kid, try this riff." And I woke up and I'm like, "Oh, here it is. Yes." And everything was out of tune and wonky, <laughs> and it didn't work. So uh, it wasn't in the cards for me to.
2: So you guys were drawn to each other's creativity, but then Yeah,
0: we were drawn to each, other, to each other's creativity. And then I, I remember being like, well, that's super romantic, but I feel like also once we get married, he should probably put the guitar away, like somewhere not in the bed. So <laughs> we, we got married and he put the guitar away for six years, like did not play one single note on the guitar for six years. It was like I married a musician and then the music disappeared. Um, he was, you know, still tall, which was great, but like, uh, but he, he got really, you know, we were like trying to figure out being married and, and building a family and having kids and we were super tired and he was training Brazilian jitsu like obsessively all of a sudden that was more exciting than music. That's probably why the Vietnam shirt didn't work anymore was the Brazilian jitsu Like he grew muscles, which is great, but, um, yeah, like he, Literally went from being completely obsessed with music to not playing any music at all. And I kind of, like, I felt robbed. Like, you marry someone in part for who they are. And then it's so, it's shockingly easy, like, how quickly that can disappear and not exist
3: anymore. But that's an important point, maybe on the extremely practical level of, of just having children, you know, exhaust you. So these kinds of things, I mean, I'm sure maybe some people listening to us like, oh, well, I was creative when I was younger or I was creative before I had four kids, you know, or whatever, you know. I think there can be seasons where it gets, you know, it just gets pushed to the it back It just feels burner. impossible. Yeah. and Yeah, because you're just exhausted.
0: Yeah, you're just too tired and and you're just suddenly – it's like a, a an undertow that pulls you and you don't realize how far away you're getting dragged from where you started. So is, mm-hmm. isn't
1: creativity – like born of leisure,
0: yeah, because you need to be able to to be beyond survival to create art. I mean, I and except maybe um, like if you're doing work that is part of your survival, you you can keep on doing that to some degree, to some
2: degree, but not as fruitfully. Like if I don't have time to think, if I don't have space where I'm walking and just in the silence, it's it's hard, and it's hard to be producing constantly because you have. If I'm not producing, I'm not making any money. And, you know, or Instagram is hiding me if I'm not posting something on social media. Like there's so many different layers now to – I mean maybe it's different if you're – I'm sure it's different if you're Taylor Swift and you have a 100 people who you're employed to to do all this stuff for you. But most of us, if we're professional artists in some sense, we're doing it all. Like we don't have patrons who are, you know – Although Supporting if there are any out there, we're, we'd love to talk. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: we're we we're <laughs> have a conversation, reach out, right. DM me. Need um, to take a walk. But every day so I could think that <laughs> um, would be awesome. But I think so when I, it's yeah, not not doing any art. I think at, like I was playing music. I was still playing music. I, I played like the Harp and Dementia Units because so, I could take mm. my kids with me. Like people loved that because the people were so hungry for contact with small children. So we dressed that was the baby as
1: Santa Claus, remember that? You I did. We dressed the so. baby as
0: Santa Claus. Like I all my kids would go around and shake people's hands Aww. and like, you know. That's so I think they 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 had me in as much for the babies as they did for the harp music, which was, you know, but people couldn't remember the music anyway, so it was fine. Um but it was it was really fulfilling and I loved it. Um and that was why I had the harp out in the living room because I had been playing. I was going up to the dementia unit above our home in, in the nursing home that's above our home the next day. So there was a weekend where we were home, our kids were running around howling, you know, a normal Saturday morning and we were drinking coffee and my harp was sitting out, which was unusual. And Casey went and grabbed his guitar, which he literally, like it wasn't, he never played anything. He didn't pull it out at parties, nothing. Um, but he went and grabbed his guitar and just played a few notes and was like hey you want to try something and and we we started to play together which was something we'd never done before we'd played separately before we got married but we had completely different opposite approaches to music opposite musical styles and so we started playing these few notes together and we're kind of like both of us were like whoa that's really there's there's something there um so those you know those few notes turned into a a song that turned into an album that turned into a a 40 foot bright blue school bus. But but I think so for us, when you were asking about creativity in our marriage, like creativity really saved our marriage. I think our ability to work together creatively, like we could not load a dishwasher together without wanting to murder each other to save our lives, but we can make an album. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, she's not exaggerating. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was really hard. It like it, for us, the, I think in part it was because we were both doing what we were meant to do when we were doing creative work together, but it also opened up an avenue where we were like striving to find harmony in music was able to lead us towards harmony in our marriage in a way that I can't imagine anything Mm -hmm. else having done.
3: That's pretty dramatic, but that does bring to mind, you know, it's probably been said many times, but you know, love is creative. So even, you know, when you consider marriage, like marriage is a creative act. I mean, there's a possibility of creating life, but there's life together, which is unknown as you enter into it. But, you know, how do you, how do you live that out? I would imagine, you know, some marriages fail because there's not, there's a lack of creativity about moving forward. Like this is, you know, it gets stale, you know, and, or maybe some person, you know, grows beyond the other person and, you know, creates a, you know, some kind of lack of harmony in the marriage. But, you and know, so to Emily's point them. of like life is creative. So marriage is creative and, you know, different, you know, how do you navigate different seasons? You know, so yours is very, you know, it's very tangible because you actually are a band and, <laughs> right. you know, and, and you know, you, you work together as a band and a married couple. But I think, you know, for a married couple to think, you know, or maybe, you know, like, Oh, what is it we're building? You know, it's a shared project. I think Emily, you had said that before, like, you know, you're building something and, You know, so the creativity of of marriage, you know, that's probably something that should be hit upon in marriage prep. Like, you know, how are you thinking about this life that you're moving into? And, you know, what's it going to look like three years from now, seven years from now? Of course, you don't know. But, you know, to be fruitful, multiply, and to subdue the earth, you know, is is an act of God. And God is love, and so he's creative. And, you know, you're getting married, presumably, because you love each other. But then, you know, how does that love you know, work together over time, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you bring life or continue to have the life flourish in your shared life?
0: And part of that is Like dinner parties, right? It's it's a visitation house. It's that sense of of openness because I think what we talked about earlier with the Industrial Revolution was like when you detach your life from your home and your life happens away from the home because you're working away from the home and you're eating away from the home or you're consuming art within the home and sort of like, you know, diving into your phone, like what is the life of your home? And I think one of the ways to... To make the life of your home more vibrant is to invite other people into it, yeah. or invite other ideas into it, and to cultivate the kind of creativity that I mean. Chris, you last time we were here, you were marveling over Emily's ability to kind of to contemplate paint, yeah. which is something <laughs> that I would never do, right? Like you were the way that like she's painting swatches on the wall and then watching the way the light hits it, which is a super artistic artistic act.
3: Yeah, I've never. I would never have thought that. I mean, maybe if I'd owned a home, you know, by myself prior to us getting married, maybe I would have stumbled upon this. But watching home renovation shows and just, you know, which opens me up to that. Like, okay, that's a new way for me to see, like, you know, to start to see light and color. Even just as I, you know, travel through the world, I mean, it, it you know, it opens up new ways of thinking which is life giving, you know. It's you know, so you know, it's part of the part of the fruit of being married to Emily is is seeing this.
2: Well, I've been so blessed with Chris in the sense that I don't feel like at any point over the past seven years through marriage, through motherhood, three, three babies coming in two and a half years, that I haven't been able to be creative. And I mean, obviously I'm writing for a living, but I'm also, you know, I'm always able to Which I encourage. To cook. Yeah. (laughs) You encourage the writing for a living. (laughs) But you encourage (laughs) but you encourage me in every aspect of creativity. You encourage my writing. You encourage my cooking and hosting and hospitality and that is an act of creativity. You encourage my homemaking and literally how I make homes with (laughs) paint and (laughs) fabric and like you're so you know you married me and you're always encouraging me to be me and to make he's making the time and the space for me to create. And I think that is something that, that can end up missing from marriages where you get so caught up in the grind or in the production or someone's like, well, that's great. You did that before we were married, but I need you to
0: focus on this now where Chris has just said, this is and, who I married. And that's who you fell in love with in the first place. Right. I think that's one yeah. way to fall out of love is if you, if you accidentally shut down what it was about mm-hmm. the other person, mm-hmm. or, I mean, if you understandably shut down about yourself who you were before you got married like you become lesser and lesser when you shut off your creativeness what in whatever way that it expresses it makes it harder to love each other because you know i fell in love with casey because he was a musician and like i love him being a musician that's all no, that was one of the reasons. <laughs> can't shut that off. If <laughs> you were a He's short musician, right. I, would have, I would have been. I would have. I'll if, get stilts. I'll do what it I, <laughs> I wasn't. No, I actually, I'd never dated anyone tall before I dated Casey. Like, I'm six feet tall. I never dated anyone my height. Cause I was always like, I'll date someone if they're interesting enough for me to date. Like, and they're gonna have to be really interesting to want to date someone who's six feet tall. But then Casey was <laughs> the most interesting, but also 6'5, which was. You know, a huge bonus. Bonus. But um, (laughs) but he's also, I think, also been incredibly, incredibly supportive of every creative thing I wanted to do, whether that's playing the harp in a dementia unit or, you know, wearing a feather headdress and samba dancing in downtown Pittsburgh or putting on a Shakespeare play or, you know, deciding to make an independent film. Like Casey's like, yes, let's do this. Like, yes, you should write a book. He's always been 1000 percent supportive of every single creative endeavor I've I've never felt in any way like I'm not free to be creative mm. in my marriage with him and I feel really blessed because of that. Which
2: can be really hard, right? Because it would be easy for Chris to say, "Okay, I know you want to do this with we could have this party, but I don't want people over here tonight. I know you want to do this with the room, but it seems like that's just going to be a lot of trouble and fuss." I mean, it requires a going out of yourself to foster creativity in your spouse or in your, you know, in your roommates, I don't know, whoever you're living with that's trying to help people be creative, there's a certain dying to self and a willing to be uncomfortable (laughs) and to be put out or to be tired to take work on. Like creativity is, it is work. It is something we're made to do, but we're not God. Like God, God says, let there be light and there's light. You know, God Mm -hmm. creates just by speaking a word. We have to work at creativity. We have to work at finding the time. We have to work at you know, cr- cultivating that inner disposition to create, finding silence, um, recognizing the importance. And so as married couples, and with our kids, we're going to have to do the same thing. Like if as we, you know, Chris and I have little ones, but as we move to, like what, do they get? what do they want to do? Who right. did God make them to be? How did God make them to be creative? And how do we make space for that in our family life so that they too can can be the creative people they're supposed to be?
0: Yeah, it's. I think it's interesting that, as a culture, we have we have so many more resources than you know all of human history, and yet like you need l- leisure to create, and we theoretically have so much, but we're constantly frantically running, and never resting i think most i certainly f- often feel like i'm frantically you know moving and and not mm. stopping and I, last year i read um i read a room of one's own for the first time i somehow never read it probably because i dropped out of college like i just um had never managed to read it by virginia wolf and i was so startled like by this concept of that in order to create you needed space mm. you needed to know that you were going to be able to to financially get through the time that it took you to do it, and you needed to have a space to to create in and that was it was so helpful for me to try to kind of create to figure out what that meant for us so for us you know Casey just had a sabbatical, which was amazing because it, it created space for us to do these projects that we were working on um, and it was a, a radical move but I think that figuring out how to how to create time and space um, for to cultivate that slow work of creativity is, is really important. It's so interesting
2: cuz I'm really struggling with writing right now because I have no office. You have no space. I have no space to write. So we have you just we, moved, we yeah. don't well th- you know we have this big empty house to choose from, but but I have no furniture to so in you know all of our this house is so big that the furniture that was in my office is now downstairs on the first floor in the den we have all these empty rooms and i don't have a place where my work is spread out and i have a comfortable place to sit and a desk to be at and work in the past couple of weeks has been extraordinarily hard for me because i'm writing in our bedroom and our bedroom is a makeshift bedroom because it's not the bedroom we're going to be in and there's boxes everywhere and i am not functioning well but yeah like having so whatever you're doing whether it's a, if you're a cook having a kitchen that functions if you're a gardener having land that you can you need a space to create. And it's whatever not it even
0: is. it's not about having a huge house necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's like, well maybe I can take the kids to the park so that you can do this or, you know, mm-hmm. like I feel like when I was writing Casey let me, you know, he was home so I could nap during the day, so I could survive, so that that gave me the space to work in the middle Three of the night. Pots of coffee. <laughs> we're still trying to detox oh, from all so the caffeine. Coffee. We drank so much coffee; it was horrifying. Like we're down to like two pots of coffee now. So, feeling great, feeling midwestern, midwestern in February. It's like just a never-ending coffee drip. Yeah. So no, I don't know. It'll be
2: it'll be interesting as the kids grow up how we foster that within. I know you guys are doing a TV free Lent. Are we? Are, are we? Okay. We, <laughs> right, we are. We yeah, are. We have
3: been. breaking news on our podcast. <laughs> um,
0: Yes, so TV free Lent um, is uh, we we did it one time before. I can report back to you at the end of Lent and let you know how this one goes. What I can tell you is that the last time that we did a TV free Lent was a many years ago, and B like it was a really challenge creatively. My kids got really, 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 really creative really fast, and so my house, which is already somewhat more creative than yours, and in like all the wrong ways, Emily, (laughs) like it just. Like they they played more, but they created like so many structures and you know castles, holes and, in the backyard. Yeah, like digging random holes to nowhere. Like there were Legos. Legos entered our house in a big way. <laughs> yeah, in that TV one neighbor freelance. that just
1: like looks at us with disgust and yeah. sighs. Is, is it he, me? Like no, am I that neighbor looking no, out from my
0: kitchen? You're not that neighbor. <laughs> I, that
1: neighbor's that neighbor. Um,
0: so yeah, I think that like. A TV-free time is like super exciting and also super dangerous. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get back to you on mm-hmm. on how that goes. Because you are braver than I am. I am not ready for that. No, At we've definitely like one thousand Maybe percent. a year
3: from now, two years from now
2: your kids have to be old once enough once you've retired and you're home no they have
0: Legos now but your t- kids for have us Lego TV oh, that would be almost fun. yeah it, it's there's like a the coffee there's a point of diminishing returns yeah it's like that coffee mm. like once you get up to like three pots of coffee and you're drinking coffee at 8pm like you're like oh I can't push this much further yeah the like,
1: episode would end there's like screaming Just it's like a jail mess hall People, like trays flying everywhere <laughs> chairs like just ass. someone's taped to the wall
0: so we were like maybe we need to reevaluate like we need to detox actually so I think you know it's been several years we re- we've really Relyed really heavily on a collection of like old scratched up DVDs to like allow us to do our music career. So um, we'll see. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to report back on this one because creativity is messy. It is so messy. That's true. That's yes, a good point. and people don't like messiness. Even you don't have a super neat office.
2: Never. My office yep. is never neat. Yeah. it's There's books. There's an explosion of books and
0: papers everywhere all the time in it's there. It's like the one room in the house that's explosive because that's where the creativity happens for that kind of creativity. Emily,
1: do you take solace in your current writing situation from so many incarcerated people that also wrote best-selling novels in jail and other <laughs> unfortunate <laughs> conditions?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I, you know, I, oh, I'm like a Stradivarius. I'm very sensitive. It's probably something I have to get. You know, like I perform well under the right conditions. If I the conditions are not right, I, I'm kind of, I just, I'm a dud. I don't, I don't know about
3: that. You're pretty impressive. Your ability to produce stuff under duress. I mean, it's probably harder, but you still do it. You don't really it feels impressive.
2: like inside. Inside, it's. I just get grueling. <laughs>
1: Get you
2: do get glimpses. So, yeah, I know. I think there's, yeah, it's messy and messy is hard.
0: So, hmm. really quick roundup. What is the best song you've listened to this week, Emily? Uh, Fast Car by Tracy Chapman and Luke Holmes at the Grammys, of course. Right. And you loved it because?
2: I love it. Okay. So, last summer, Chris had, had, was tuned out of this, but last summer, I always have liked the song Fast Car. I think it's a profoundly human song. It's about an encounter with grace, I think it's about heaven. So when you – you know, she's she's trapped in a horrible situation and she wants to escape. She has this en- encounter with Grace in this fast car where she tastes freedom and so that's what she wants. And she's like, let's get out of here. And I think that's how we all feel in this world, you know, where life is hard, the world is broken, there's so much hurt but then you have this encounter with grace and you realize that we're made for more and we're made for heaven and so we all have that experience of being trapped in the hard and yet getting a glimpse of the glory for which we're meant and longing for that like longing to be free longing to escape and i think that's why people love that song so much and have loved it for almost 30 years now but this past summer when Luke Combs came out with the number 1 you know he did a he did a what do you what do you call it Cover. A, cover. a cover. He covered. That's what it is. Um, he did a cover of it, and lots of people have done covers of it, but none have ever been a number one hit. And some people were very upset because they felt like, well, this is a song by a black. Queer woman, whether or not she's actually queer, I don't know. But you know that, that how can how can a white country Republican conservative man do a cover of this? It's diminishing her art. I'm like, no, she's a great artist because she writes music that's profoundly human. And so seeing the two of them on the stage at the Grammys, this you know, singing it together and just watching everyone in the audience singing it with them—people's hearts are stringing I'm like, this is what it means to be human. This is a transcendent experience. This is what reminds us that we're all brothers and sisters, and we all long for the same things and we all struggle with the same things, regardless of what our specific life experiences are. And I feel like that was a great graced moment this week in the world
1: to see those two sing together. I want to. I want to. I want to re- rewatch it now. Because I tuned out when Travis Scott was like throwing lawn chairs. <laughs>
0: No, that was afterwards. We'll link it. We'll link it. I missed that. We, we had to look all over
3: the place to find it.
0: I actually, yeah, speaking of creativity, yeah. So like I actually watched a lot of the Grammys, but not that piece because my kids had lost the TV remote. So I was like, Casey, oh. where's, <laughs> I was nursing the baby. The other be kids wildly creative. they were being wildly creative and they built a fort and I was like, I want to turn it on, but I can't do it. So that's why I missed it. At the, But we're going to we're gonna link it if people want to watch it. Chris, what's the best
3: song you've listened to this week? Oh boy, the best song. I don't know, can I change the question to, uh, "What's the best thing I read?" Ooh, yeah, what's the best okay. thing you read? Because really, I mean, it probably, I didn't listen to a lot of music this week, so Fast Cars would probably be the same answer. But uh, with my scholars, we just finished an essay by Dana Joya called "Christianity and Poetry," and I'm not like a super poetry guy. I mean, it's something I work at, you know, sort of maybe in in vein of of creativity. But it it really it kind of rocked my world because he makes a very strong argument that like poetry is essential to christianity it's not like an add on and and he's he's very good and he's kind of self aware like hey people are going to dismiss this but you know the the psalms and there's so much verse in the bible but then the mysteries of christianity demand like poetic language and it just you know as a teacher it caught my attention because you know i'm like am i too prose even in the way i present christianity like there's something beautiful here that demands like highly wrought language, and maybe the way I approach it. So anyway, Dan, Dana Joya, who's who's one of the you know I, I have a whole litany of people I say I want to be when I grow up, but he's one of them. And uh, so Christian poetry, which is not—it's just a booklet. I think I got it from Wise Blood Books, and maybe it was it was initially in First Things, but uh, not a long essay, but you know made me made me think. I think some of my students were captured by it to some extent too. So so poetry and song.
0: Yeah, his stuff is related. so great, Casey. Best thing you've listened to this
3: week? Uh, I can't
1: remember if it was this week or the week before, but um, I've been dissecting this Chinese song that I heard over the grocery store PA system while I went out shopping for spicy noodles. But even though I have no idea what they're actually saying, I do admire um, the arrangement, how it casually juxtaposes traditional and modern instruments, and Mm. how well they mixed the actual song. Um, Also, the melody temporarily turns into Jingle Bells for a few bars. It's not a very good answer to question. I've also been uh, lazily reading this Rick Rubin book called The Creative Act. I keep coming back to it like a like a hit man keeps kicking the corpse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, what do you think about that? Casey I is to, the that king that of a, that's a whole Energy other episode. So okay, we should we'll table that right, because we'll table that. he come back for that. Casey has okay. an entire review. Um, and it's it's as bad as uh, Dana Joya wrote a great piece that I just read this week about mm. how he met one of his favorite poets like after he had he had given him a good review and then he wrote a de- devastatingly terrible review of this poet who had become terrible and he was like there was no other way around it and then he ran into that poet and the poet was like really you know old and washed up and, and intoxicated and he mm. came after him and oh. was like this bellicose like massive southern dude and he was like you're Dana Joya <laughs> <laughs> and he <laughs> like he tracked him down and just like started howling at him at like a Library of Congress event or something. And then at the end, he like but Dana Joy wraps it up by being like talking about like how furious and terrifying he was. And was like, I knew there was a reason I liked his first poems. Oh, wow. that's great. <laughs> so it, was, like, it was great. Um, and I think like that's all we have time. Wait, what for did you know? Oh actually, yeah, Kate. Uh, answer, you get to answer your question. Uh, I listened to a. A radio station, a Celtic radio station in Scotland mm-hmm. in Glasgow that played our, our sea shanty that we just Aww. released. Aww. So I got that's to listen awesome. to like a Celtic it was a transatlantic conversation radio show. And I also have a book on my shelf that I've been wanting to read forever that's that's about the transatlantic like sort of conception how America and Europe mirrored each other in, in creating who the other was in in this that i'm i i'm going to read that but it was interesting to listen to this music because the music in scotland was like all celtic music from america but played in scotland so it was interesting to hear it in that context like really appalachian celtic music but knowing that it was being played in scotland and realizing how much scottish music i've listened to growing up so thinking about that that dj had a great scottish accent he because he's Scottish but it's just yeah so when he introduced our song it was like wow this Ooh, yeah. is really cool people are listening to us in Scotland so that's what I listened to uh, and we hope people will come back and listen to us next week we will be back with another conversation a visitation conversation number three yes
3: visitation sessions.